0: Hey everyone, Greg here. So at the encouragement of our good friend, Erica M, who quite frankly knows a little more about interviewing musicians and music people than perhaps Kareem and I do, I don't know. She's got a few more years experience than us. Anyway, at Erica's encouragement, we started focusing in the new year on live music. And one of the segments that came out of it is called Lost Venues. Uh, Kareem and I have done a couple episodes ourselves, and we've been asking our guests as they come on about their favorite lost venue. And here is a sample of some of our guests' lost venues.
1: Hi, the following podcast is brought to you by Radical Road Brewery, the best craft beer in the heart of Leslieville. Find them at 1177 Queen Street East. That's Radical Road Brewery.
2: Hi, I'm Justine Giles. I'm a singer-songwriter originally from Sudbury, Ontario.
1: So we have a, um, uh, a section, I think is the right word for it, Greg,
0: um, <laughs> called... Segment. Lost segment. Thank you.
2: I like that word. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you're not, you're not going to start talking about the daylight
3: getting dark <laughs> again, are you? See,
0: it's dark outside. <laughs> it's dark here. It's not dark there.
1: Um, we have a segment, as Greg likes to call it. Um, called Lost Venues. Uh, oh yeah. And so cool. I'm I'm curious whether uh, there's a place in in Sudbury um, or Montreal or or Calgary that you've played at that you maybe it was a great show, maybe it was the worst show you did, maybe there's a just a funny story. Um, but I'm wondering if there's a venue like that that doesn't exist anymore because we've seen over time. Uh, and it's happened throughout history. Uh, I'm, I'm reading a book on on uh, on live music in Toronto, and um, there's an area in Toronto called Yorkville um, that was hugely popular uh, back in the '60s, um, and it was and it and it quickly died down as, as a place where people would go to listen to live music over time. So I think it's something that that goes on throughout time. But am but we have seen. A lot of venues closed over the past number of years and especially this yeah. year. So Justine, I'm curious if there's a, a lost venue for you that you really enjoy playing at.
2: Great question. And I was just thinking of that too. I mean, sadly, so many venues and, and businesses have had to close this year. So I'm sure there are venues that I've that I've played that I'm not aware of have closed and they have probably closed. Um but probably the more interesting story is back in Sudbury at one point, I used to rent downtown a studio. It wasn't really an apartment, but let's be real. Sometimes the artists, we would crash there. Like if I played a gig across the street, I would hundred percent crash in my studio. That mm-hmm. night. Um, so what's really cool about it is that it was this building of artists and I, I miss it. But right next to our building, was a little outdoor space that no one was really occupying at the time and it was almost like a crack in the wall like between our building and this next building and I had heard that they made it into a venue at one point but it was no longer a thing so I took it on as my project I think it was probably one or two summers I can't quite remember might have been one but I basically took it on as my job to make it a venue, to make it an outdoor venue in this crack. And it was literally called like Le Crack. <laughs> and then people were, would argue with me and be like, it's supposed to be a La Crack, not Le Crack. I'm like, I don't know, but it's just the crack <laughs> in the wall. that that's what it is. So um, I I literally did everything. I It was kind of like a messy space, you know, where people put stuff. It's like your backyard or your... Um, like your garage where you have random pieces of wood and and whatever and it just had plants overgrown so I did like all the landscaping and I (laughs) put up this um like canopy and lights and the whole thing and set up tables and booked artists to come and play oh wow and uh yeah so it was cool like we had a rotation of artists in every weekend and um it was kind of like a pass the hat like a it was not a funded thing. So, um, but yeah, I mean, the local community would come out and sit and listen to local artists and, and it was just a really fun time. Like CBC did a little article on it. So we had some, some press. And so, yeah, I would say that's the most interesting little, little venue that I've played that no longer exists because after I stopped running it, I think it just didn't exist anymore, but it Hmm. was a fun little stint.
0: That's (laughs) cool. What, What street was that on or where was that?
2: That was on Durham Street. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. So probably like down the street from the townhouse. Like it's a very yeah. small downtown area. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah for sure. But it's yeah, funny. Durham.
4: Hey everyone, my name is Johnny Dovercourt. I'm a writer, musician, and concert presenter based here in Toronto. I'm the co-founder and artistic director of the Wavelength Music Series.
1: Johnny, I, w- I wanted to ask you, you've, uh, you've obviously... Uh, been a musician in mm-hmm. Toronto. I don't know if you still actively, pl- obviously not this past year, but if you, if you had still been playing uh, in bands, but I, I really want to know if there's a venue um, that you know just was one of those places where you loved to play, or or maybe you you hated to play there with a passion. <laughs> but but for some for some reason, you talked about that ebb and flow the venue doesn't exist anymore. You know, so this is part of our lost venues segment. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm curious if there's a a lost venue uh, that is close to your heart.
4: Mm. That's funny because, you know, some venues still exist, but maybe not in the, in, in the incarnation that I um that I have uh, the strongest attachment to, Mm -hmm. you know, I think like for me, um, like the two the two places I probably loved playing the most are still around, but are, you know, are cleaned up and not like I'm glad that they're still there, but they're not, you know, they're not the scuzzy former selves that I fell in love with. And those are that would be the main floor of the Elma Combo and the basement of Drake Hotel. And um, what's funny is the the and these are for sure for two different reasons. Like the 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 um, the basement of the Drake Hotel in the early '90s uh, was was like kind of the ground zero for indie music in, in the, that time period and of sort of '91. And it was only around in that sort of incarnation, booked by William New from '91 to '93. And you know, I was like 18 or 19, and only ever got to play there with my high school band when we were you know just just before we broke up when I went away to university but so um my memories of playing there are very kind of like um you know uh, a lot of uh what's the word like adrenal just memories of a lot of adrenaline you know just like that exciting you know being really young and not being that experience and just being so excited and terrified just pure terror of being on stage which is just like you know you never you never feel so alive of just being like ah how are i can't believe we're doing this how are we going to get through this set and then it's just like gone uh it feels like so long when you're going trying to get through the set and then when it's over it feels like it was five minutes um but also like getting to meet other people for the first time, getting to meet like-minded people like a, you know, I, I met people that I still see like regularly, like Brennan Canning and Noah Mintz from who played in, then played in a band called Head and Brennan went on to co-found Brooklyn Social Scene and, um, Grasshopper, who was, uh, you know, who's his name is Grasshopper. You know, I know him as Derek, but he, uh, uh, back back to having a, a pseudonym he was fronted a band called grasshopper and now he runs grasshopper records and just you know see him around the corner he lives around the corner for me you know and people that i still yeah people that i still see like it was the first time i discovered like the sense of like having community like these are my people like like the like-minded weirdos who play in bands um so you know and the, and the drake you know god bless Jeff over the owner of the Drake, I'm so glad he bought that place and fixed it up and it's still a venue where it was and I'm sure it will be again. But it's, you know, to me it'll always be the 1150. The, we, we called it the 1150 because it was, it was either the Drake or the 1150. And it was like really, you know, it was really scuzzy. It was a, you know, it was a rundown like sort of flop house upstairs and this amazing like punk rock, um, like, Watering hole in the, in the basement, um, and then the El um, that also booked by William New, who was just like he was the guy. He always booked. He always knew how to move on to like the the place for you know there was a, whenever William booked a place, it was always going to be a, a friendly place for new bands, right? And then after, uh, after the after he booked the eleven fifty, William moved on to. William moved to briefly booked the Edgewater Hotel, which was for short saw some great shows there too, and played a couple of great share- shows there too, but, you know, don't have as many fond memories of that place. And then he moved on to the Elma Combo, where he, was, I think he booked it from 93 to 99, if memory serves. And um, the main floor of the Elmo was just a place that just actually, you know, more as a musician, it was, you know, by that point, I was more, you know, experienced and confident. And playing the Elma Combo always felt great. Like, it was the sound was always good. It was always, you know, the, just the layout of the stage was the right angle. Um, you know, it was, um, the sight lines were good. It wasn't too high off the, the stage wasn't too high off the ground. Um, yeah. Like I said, it was always a good mix that a great P, great little house PA and it was an easy place to fill. Like you could get 30 to 50 of your, if, you know, 30, 30 to 50 of your friends came out, it still felt like the place was full.
5: Hi, everybody. My name is Ensold. I'm an R&B and neo-soul singer and songwriter here in Brampton, Ontario.
1: Is there a a place that you've performed at? It could be local. It could be anywhere um, that you have fond memories of that unfortunately doesn't exist anymore.
5: Yes, the Harlem Underground. Um, I had another artist um, named Malcolm in the Alex in the middle. Sorry, I almost said Malcolm. Malcolm in the middle. Alex. In the middle, <laughs> Alex. So he's um, an artist here in Toronto. Um, he was. He used to work at Harlem Underground before they closed down, and he wanted to to bring other artists together. So he had like a band, and he had other art. A lot of different artists just come up and like perform with the band. So we had like a short, quick rehearsal with the band and we just did a performance and it was really, really good. So many people in that venue, so many people. It was a small space, but, and it was packed. This was pre um, pre COVID. It was packed mm-hmm. and the food, A1. The food was amazing. It was like Jamaican style um, food. I don't remember where it was downtown, but it was one of those spaces where the windows open out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it was like, it was a really nice, really nice space. It, it sucks that it's gone. Um, I don't know why, <laughs> but that space was really nice. It was really nice.
1: Yeah, West End Queen,
3: not, not too far yeah. from uh, Trinity Bellwoods. Hello, my name is Greg Godowitz. You might remember me from the bands Flood and Gotto. Or this fantastic poster that Long John Baldry did of me in 1978.
0: One of the things that I love is a poster that you shared from Barrymore's. Oh. Yeah, had you two. That had you two. There's my there's my segue. Right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Give me that one. Right? Yep. Um, it Had you two. You're uh, with Godo. It had Doug and the Slug. Like I just. It had a number of bands. Rheingold
3: was on there. They Reingold. played the night, they, which is Larry Gowen's band. And. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, countless other bands have played within, it was the month of March for whatever year that was, 1980 or whatever it was. Yeah. And it was like uh, $5 to see us. It was like six fifty to see you 2 uh, And I mean, you got to start somewhere, right? Yeah, but I mean, but, but where
0: I was going to go with that is, I mean, to me, Barrymore is, and I know we're going to get to sort of a lost venue discussion, but... It, knock on wood Barrymore's and other venues make it through what we're going through right now. But to me, just, I love Barrymore's is one of my favorite venues I've ever played. I just love that room.
3: Yeah. It, incredible. First of all, Barrymore's started life out as a, uh, uh, it was a strip club. It was called Pandora's box. And before <laughs> that it was, it was, it was probably uh, a vaudeville theater. So for people that have never been there, it's it's right downtown in Ottawa. There's three levels to it you got the, your your ponder level right in the front with the stages and everything and then an, another group up and then a balcony area um i'm i'm wondering gurik is is there a
1: another venue that uh, unfortunately is not around anymore that um, that holds a special place in your heart
3: uh, countless but i'm going to go with the gasworks on young street mm-hmm. I mean, we when we got Goddard together, uh, we couldn't get a gig there. Like, we, no, no, you guys are nobody. Nobody knows who you are. And then we we get, after the first month we were together, we get a gig opening up at Massey Hall for Golden Earring. And the next day on the 6 o'clock rock report and in the newspapers, all they talked about was us. So now all of a sudden, we're good enough to play the Gasworks. And we get there on the first Monday night of a week-long stand and it's lined up down the street. So instant acceptance for the band, even though we we only had like 16 songs or something, you know. But I remember one night, uh, we're playing and this famous girl about town, I think they're called groupies, shows up in the front row in front of the stage trying to get my attention. And we stopped the song and I said, how can I help you? She goes, I've got Rick Nielsen and Robin Zander in a limousine out front. They won't let them in. So I said, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back. And I go and I get them in. How you doing? Nice to meet you. And uh, they come in and I said to them, I said, do you guys want to sit in? And they both looked at each other and went, yeah. I said, what do you want to play? And Robin said, I'll do sound. And Rick says, I'll do lights. And they did for the rest of the (laughs) night. They didn't play music with this. They just did sound and lights. And I just thought that was the super coolest thing. I think hilarious. I have a picture of Rick in the new book holding my book upside down or holding holding this one upside down. I said, oh, what a kidder, you know. But, uh, yeah, it was nice. You know, that we had a lot of instances like that. Black Sabbath came to see us there every night for a week. Wow. And Ozzy kept asking me, do you want to go back and have a drink and, you know, whatever at the hotel? And I said, I just kept putting him off, you know. So finally on Saturday, he comes up to me, he says, don't you like me? And I said, oh yeah, I like you just fine. I said, I just, you know, I'm picking up girls and things. I don't, I don't want to talk to you. you know." So <laughs> He says, I said, I'll tell you what, we'll come back for a drink at your place tonight. So Bob Segarini and I go back to whatever hotel they were staying at, just up the street from the gas works. And uh, you know, they got a glass top table, you know what that means, you know, and uh, we, We're doing, we're getting all this business done and talking rock and roll and stuff. And Segarini has to tie his shoelace and he stands up and he's got a stubby beer bottle under his armpit, which falls and goes right through the glass top table. And Ah. Ozzy instantly becomes the Ozzy. He goes, they're going to think I did that. They're going to make me pay for that. (laughs) They're going to think. Now, there was nothing left to do on the glass top table anyway, so we just said our goodbyes and we left. <laughs> and Ozzy and had to pay for the uh, for the, uh, the table. The table. The
0: table. Yeah. My favorite. My favorite gas to- uh, gas work story is uh, it was Anvil. Oh yeah. And and I'm trying to remember if. Either Steve or Rob knew this guy or not, but he seemed to be sort of with the band, and it was like it was like the intermission. You might even know. I don't know, I don't know. And this guy, part of the show was he would drink a pitcher of beer through his one nostril.
3: Oh no, I would remember him. Yeah, it was just I, I guess
0: you know, I guess this was part of Anvil's intermission.
3: I, I, I knew remember. a guy. I knew a guy there that could uh, inhale a cigarette and have it come out of his ears. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was strange to see.
6: I am Danny Miles. I am the drummer of July Talk, Canadian band, and I also do some production and stuff for other artists and I'm in another group called Tongue Helmet.
0: And I can't believe this place is gone, Call the Office.
6: Yeah. It's so sad. I can't
0: I, I can't believe that.
6: I mean, are we Tongue Helmet played there actually like uh, right before covid kind of, some like the summer before COVID. Um, I mean, if the place needed a lot of work and it had a new owner who was really trying his best to keep it alive. Yeah. So it was like a little tough. So when it did close, I was not like, it was incredibly sad. And I think that a huge part, for me that's gonna be really sad when COVID's over is that the music venues were already dying because rock the rock genre is pretty it's a, a pretty low point right mm-hmm. now, I think. Not not quality wise, but yeah, I think popularity yeah, wise. It, yeah. um, and so the venues were already closing and now it's just like they're all closing. Like this ain't Hollywood and Hamilton's closed and mod club. Uh, I'm I'm all holding, the
0: like, yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping that there's I don't know, we've talked about this with a few guests. Like I know I know a place like Mod Club probably won't be able to open up again just because of the value of the property, but I'm hoping on the flip side of this there are some young enterprising people that are going to come up with something new. I'm wondering Danny, is there is there a venue, you know, maybe
1: back before the July Talk Days or maybe, you know, early July Talk Days that I don't know you loved playing at uh that had you know there was something special about it. Um that that's no longer on the uh you know no no longer on the scene anymore. I have many.
6: Yeah. I can go back to London and like like the job days or is the Brunswick Hotel? Just like a dirty dive bar, but it was known for like mm-hmm. punk. Like London had a pretty crazy, I'm sure Greg knows it, like had a pretty crazy punk scene mm-hmm. in the like late 80s, early 90s. I think even like mid-80s. Like, you had punk bands like Bad Brains and stuff apparently come in. You know what I mean? That's pretty crazy. They would come to London because it was like a punk rock city. So you have all these cool venues like Brunswick Hotel uh, closed its parking lot now. Uh, the Embassy, which is in London. We have one in Toronto, but the Embassy Hotel, which is another like dirty, trashy bar I saw a lot of really cool shows there and played a bunch of shows there and it's gone it burned down might have been a like insurance, insurance thing <laughs> <laughs> might have been like a biker thing a hell's Angel thing I don't know uh, Toronto the silver dollar with like Dan Burke that was like he I've been in like way more bands than just the bands I've mentioned those are just yeah. the ones that kind of have kind of made uh, surfaced but I've played with a lot of people and like Silver Dollar, even July Talk played Silver Dollar. The Job played Silver Dollar. Uh, I was in a band, Grassy Knoll and the Magic Bullet, Invasions. <laughs> like it was just like I was always at the Silver Dollar and saw a bunch mm-hmm. of shows there.
1: Tell us about the Silver Dollar. T- t- it's Where was it? College and Spadina? College and, Spadina? and
6: Blue No, College and Spadina. Spadina. Right on yeah. the corner. And it was just like a scene. Because it's really close to the Ken- – Kensington Market had a scene – when I first moved to Toronto, and somehow I like I moved before all my band members in the job moved. And I didn't have a lot of friends, but I was dating a girl. And then she was part of part of this Kensington market scene. And I met all these people. And because I played drums, they were like, oh, we need you to play in our band. I was like, cool. So I started just playing in bands in that scene. I'm like, very wild, very different than what it is now i mean there's still a little bit of an underbelly but it was definitely it's a lot more like commercialized now i feel like when i go there um but yeah and so silver dollar was just like across street so we were always playing there it was just like a crazy scene i remember i think and dan burke who was like probably one of the greatest promoters he'll go down in history for Mm -hmm. sure in the toronto music scene he was a wild man then he went through ups and downs for sure. <laughs> but a great guy,
1: nonetheless. What what kind of place was it to play, the Silver Dollar? Like what, what kind of ambiance, what what made it a, a great place or, or a bad place to play in your opinion?
6: It was a, always a great place to play. It was one of those places where like the bar, so the stage, there wasn't a lot of space. It was kind of like a wide spread out room rather than like a long narrow room so everyone was like at the front of the stage and then there's the bar and then behind that there's a wall and then it was like where all the pool tables and tables were so people could go sit back there if they wanted but when a band was on everyone was like hanging out on the floor and i mean if you had 150 people it was probably pretty rammed and it got really rowdy it was just like a crazy time